Hello, Dennis Stewart. We're together again. We are, Jane. And we are uh, I'm, we're going to catch up a little bit on some of the topics you were talking about mm. last week. Yes. Uh, flavonoids yes. you were talking and, and something to do with pineapple. Now, that sounds very interesting. <laughs> well, it was a very interesting program and today we'll elaborate a little bit on how flavonoids in conjunction with particular enzymes are so remarkable in addressing conditions of the respiratory system. On to NURFM's health naturally. Bioflavonoids warrant um, a further discussion because we haven't mentioned too much about them uh, on the program in the past, but bioflavonoids are coming into their own today, particularly one of them that I mentioned last week called quercetin. Um, bioflavonoids are naturally occurring substances. They occur in fruits and vegetables, and the colour of a, of a fruit bears testimony to the presence of what are called bioflavonoids. People probably don't realise that the colour of the orange indicates the presence of what we call citrus bioflavonoids. Now, the bioflavonoids have a broad range of possibilities, and it's only in recent times that we've began to harness some of their possibilities. Last week, for instance, I mentioned that the bioflavonoids, for instance, in, in bilberry, uh, explain some of the potential of that particular food or herb in addressing many ocular conditions. And I also mentioned that bioflavonoids, even in things like oranges and uh, fruits like that, um, also have an effect in improving immunity by virtue of their vitamin C content as well. So we'll talk a little bit more about bioflavonoids and their broad spectrum benefit in a, in a group of uh, conditions usually characterised by inflammation and chronicity. And I'm interested in the colour uh, yeah, indication yeah, too. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's good, Dennis, because Cheryl is back. Cheryl, hello. We are over hello. that problem. Now, your grandson has a problem around his mouth. Yes, with eczema. Okay. Eczema. Cheryl, uh, how old's your grandson? He's six. Okay. Now, you have had the condition... Diagnosed by your good doctor? Yes. Okay, because a lot of um, conditions that occur around the mouth and the lips with kids in particular uh, can be associated with bacterial infections and conditions other than just uh, conditions such as eczema. So I wanted to preface our discussions by saying that uh, you needed to be sure that it was an eczema and not yeah. uh, something like an impetigo or something like that. Now, no, it's definitely okay. No. Now, is it restricted to your grandson's mouth? Yes. And is it around the lips, uh, on the chin, or where would you say it was? Around, around the mouth. Okay. Now, what treatment has your grandson received for for his eczema at this stage, oh. Cheryl? I, I'm sure of what my daughter's actually put on it. I'm ringing for my daughter. Okay. Has the condition responded to a, a medical approach, which probably uh, would have been no. a, a low-strength steroid, I suspect. But look, yeah. there's a couple of things that um, I would suggest here. With kids' eczema, regardless of where it is, regardless of where it is, I always emphasise the role of essential fatty acids that are in substances like oil of evening primrose. So despite the fact that in this case it's fairly restricted uh, to one location, I would still suggest that your uh, daughter 
uh, think about going along to the pharmacy or the health food store and getting hold of some oil of evening prim primrose, either in capsule or liquid form, and supplementing the diet with that to start with, because eczema, in my opinion, in kids, has shown some very, very good response to what the literature says the oil of evening primrose can do. Now, because it is restricted, topical management, that is putting something on it, um, is very logical, and your daughter would have done that with what uh, her doctor or dermatologist has prescribed. I will suggest a couple of things that immediately come to my mind when I'm looking at an eczema that has not done well with a mainstream approach. The first preparation that I immediately think about is what I call the GA cream, GA cream. Now you might say, well, what is the GA cream? The GA cream is something that these days you would have to have compounded uh, by a pharmacist or uh, available from some herbalists. Um, it is based on the herb licorice, believe it or not, and GA, GA refers to what's called glycrotinic acid. Now don't be uh, bowled over by that. That's just the chemical constituent in licorice and the GA cream harnesses that substance which works like a, a cortisone substance but has no uh, downside to it uh, as sometimes a steroid can have. So I've always in my practice used the GA cream for chronic unresponsive eczema conditions either in adults or young people and it is ideal for a situation where nothing else has done the trick and where the condition is stubborn and uh, where it's even recurring. So the GA cream, uh, which looks like uh, a steroid cream, it's not, as you would expect, the colour of licorice. It's, it's actually white. It's in an aqueous base. It's cooling and it harnesses the, the anti-inflammatory activity of this remarkable substance found in the herb licorice, the GA cream. However, okay. uh, many, many years ago, uh, well, when I say many years ago, that tells you how old I am, but many years ago, uh, my, one of my graduate students, dear lady, um, she and I exploited the potential of the herb chickweed. And uh, a chickweed ointment, which is still in the marketplace, owes its modern renaissance in this country to the work of a dear lady uh, Robin, I won't mention her surname, but Robin and myself, who uh, used to initially uh, manufacture chickweed ointment uh, in her small household laboratory until we were obliged to get it made commercially with our same constituents. It proved one of the most remarkable uh, substances, particularly for, for dealing with kids' con conditions and particularly around the mouth where dribble and things like that would irritate the eczema. It, it had a protective base. Now when you're looking, when you are looking for chickweed ointment, uh, look for one that has uh, a greasy or a Vaseline type base. Um, don't uh, use one in this case that has a, a, an odour about it because that would indicate that it contains other substances apart from the, just the straight chickweed. So chickweed ointment straight chickweed ointment, unaccompanied by any uh, augmenting substances, particularly in kids' conditions such as this, is both protective and indicated and proven to be a very useful device for this sort of eczema. The third preparation that I sometimes use also 
is well known, and it is the herb calendula, and that is also known as greater marigold. It has been a favourite of many uh, British uh, herbalists and some remarkable uh, British medical practitioners. Dr Dorothy Shepherd was a remarkable uh, woman in Britain who was a, a GP who wrote a remarkable book, The Physician's Posy, in which she uh, elaborated on the great virtues of calendula. So there are three topical applications that, uh, in my opinion, may help uh, this, uh, okay. this child's condition. But indeed, uh, tell your daughter also to think about supplementing the diet with some essential fatty acids. Health Naturally is the program on 2NURFM and Dennis Stewart is taking your calls. Uh, Steve has run in. Steve, you've rung in from Womberall. Excellent. And your question is about arthritis in your hand? Yeah, my right hand, yeah. Yep. Hello, Steve. Hey, how you doing? Good. Let me ask you a few questions, Steve. Uh, yep. Is it in one hand or both hands? Uh, it was in both. Now it's just in the right one still, so they put me on the methotrexate. Okay, so you have a you have a rheumatoid arthritic condition. Um, okay. Yes. Arthritis. It come, yeah, it come, it, oh, it's psoriatic arthritis. Okay. Um, yeah. The the reason I said that was that methotrexate is frequently prescribed for a rheumatoid arthritic condition, but yep. also for psoriatic arthritis, <laughs> that is the drug of choice. And you. Uh, yep. And you say it, it comes and goes? Uh, worse in the mornings when I wake up and then sort of gradually, not too bad by the end of the day, but it's in my wrist and it's back on my hand, so I just want to... Okay. Is there anything else I can take with it? I was taking a bit of magnesium, but I... Uh, yeah. I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think magnesium would have much of an effect on that condition. What you'd have to ask yourself is, what is there that can contribute to reducing the inflammatory activity that methotextrate is seeking to do? The first thing I would say is that uh, elevated dosages of fish oil may have a, a benefit in this. Um, it has a, a considerable benefit when persevered with in treating or helping rheumatoid arthritis and uh, frequently that condition is being managed uh, with uh, methotextrate. I would suggest to start with you think about using um, between six and nine grams of fish oil on a daily basis. And I emphasize that because the literature says that much less than that is not likely to, uh, to give a benefit in, in helping the inflammatory phenomena. So I would see, see that as a starting base. The second thing that I would say also is never overlook, never overlook the, uh, the oldest and most uh, well-documented herb for addressing arthritic symptomatology characterized by inflammation, stiffness, etc. And that is the herb willow bark. Willow bark is, willow bark is known as Salix alba. It's uh, readily available in numerous preparations, uh, either in a solid form, that is as a capsule or a tablet, uh, sometimes available also in a liquid, and even uh, available in a good uh, arthritic tea. Now, don't underestimate the virtue of using a traditional way of prescribing a herb as an infusion or a decoction. Willow bark is particularly useful when used as an infusion and sometimes accompanied um, by a herb called silver birch. Now, that might sound a little bit um, you know, esoteric for you, but 
um, what I would be happy to do is send you a paper that I have written on the virtues of willow bark in conjunction with silver birch in the management of arthritic conditions per se. And if you were to contact the station here, they would uh, give you my address and I could happily send it to you free of charge and outline the benefit of that remarkable combination. It is remarkable because for those that might just sort of raise their eyebrow when I'm talking about something as simple as a willow bark helping uh, an arthritic condition, let me just remind listeners that during the Second World War, when drugs were very hard to get, in many continental or many European countries, uh, they reverted to using willow bark in conjunction with another European herb called silver birch. And the results were quite remarkable. And a Scandinavian physician known as a Dr. Wehrland, in his book, Rebuilding Health, he spoke about the benefits of that combination. And I say it to listeners generally, a combination of willow bark with the uh, European herb silver birch um, explained in the paper that I've written, um, explains the potential benefit of that in your case. So two things, fish oil, uh, the uh, taking it in conjunction with any form of willow bark, but yep. pr preferably as a tea or a, or a decoction and preferably um, with uh, silver birch. The third thing I would say, the third thing I would say is use a topical preparation. That is, use something that you can rub on it that has a, a clinical basis to it. And there are numerous preparations in the marketplace, but look for a preparation that contains a combination of arnica and a combination of capsicum. Now, bo both those herbs in various preparations uh, applied as a lotion or a liniment do soundly give some relief in any form of inflammatory painful conditions. Used when you get up in the morning particularly, it may set you right for the day and um, give you more mobility. Arnica. A-R-N-I-C-A, Arnica. Arnica should never be used orally, but when it's applied topically and usually in conjunction with capsicum, it has a very, very well-proven effect and is in the marketplace in your pharmacy or your health food store in various preparations. I think, I, I think by doing that, you'd give, you, you'd, you'd give yourself a bit of an edge. It's still paid with methotrexate and goes... Nine, yeah. Six to nine grams of fish oil daily and yeah. willow bark and silver birch and now, that yeah. other one rubbing as yeah. Now, I can't see any reason why that would clash with methotextrate. Um, I think ethically you should mention it to your, um, your specialist, but yeah. um, I have frequently recommended it to people who are on that medication and in many cases it has allowed a reduction in the medication they're taking. I appreciate that. It's health food short. Yeah, look, you're on, you're on, you're on the coast. At uh, you probably get something at 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 Erina, Erina Fair. I think there's a good health food store there. I used to practice on the Central Coast, but um, I'm only in the, in New Lambton now. But look, I'm I'm sure if you were to Google, you'd find uh, a, a health food store there that would have it. If not, it's readily available here in in the, in the Newcastle area.
time, mate. Appreciate your help. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you, Steve, for your call. And uh, just uh, before we carry on, uh, Janine had rung in from Redhead. She's not on the line now, but she said she had been told that eczema was an allergy. Okay. Um, yeah. Hey, look, what the lady is saying there is is correct. Eczema is what's called an atopic condition, and as such, uh, it indicates that uh, an eczema can be allergically triggered. But uh, eczema is another way, another way of speaking about a dermatitis, which is an inflammatory condition. I use the two virtually synonymous, atopic eczema, atopic dermatitis. Um, that is correct, what, what you're saying there, but I would contend that not all conditions labelled as eczema are necessarily allergically based. Uh, that might be controversial, but that's my viewpoint. In any case, regardless of the etiology of it, um, what we were talking about today, particularly as far as infantile management is concerned, is a very simple and straightforward approach that would apply to any mild inflammatory condition, regardless of what you named it. Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart today. And Lynn has a question for you, Dennis. Lynn's rung in from Cameron Park. Your husband has bad osteoarthritis in his feet, Lynn. That's right? Yeah, and also his lower back. Okay. Lynn, um, osteoarthritis uh, can be addressed from a complementary medicine perspective with a number of substances. Uh, Years ago, I did a lot of work uh, looking at uh, the glucosamine and chondroitin approach and developed my own product known as Glucosaplex. However, um, there are the glucosamine uh, base of many osteoarthritic conditions, in my opinion, is pretty soundly based. Now, let me just say by that I mean the evidence is there that in many cases it brings about some repair of the, of, the, of the damage associated with osteoarthritis and perhaps symptomatically improves the condition in many cases. Now, let me say many cases and not all cases because frequently people will say, oh, I tried the glucosamine and chondroitin approach, I tried your glucosaplex, but it didn't do much. The first thing I would say is not all people will respond to any one medication exactly the same. And the second is with the glucosamine-based preparations. Everything that I've read on it says that benefit will come from a right level of the actives in the preparation and critically the taking of it over what I refer to as a chronic or lengthy period of time. Mm. The literature that I've read suggests that anything less than about three months to assess a benefit is a bit unfair. So um, if your has your husband a, a tried a glucosamine-based product? No, no, okay. not not okay. yet. Well, um, he's waiting to. Well, waiting. I thought I'll ring you and see yeah. what you say. Um, you can buy them in the supermarkets, okay. but do you have one that's better? Well, look, you you you, you rang the station. You go down to, to my rooms, and one will be given to you free free across the county. You've taken time out. We appreciate your call. Um, go down there, and they'll give you one to try. Okay. And, and see how you go. Now, that's not in any way at all saying no products, uh, other products aren't as good. They probably are. All I'm saying is, as a gift to you from the station, get down there, take my glucosaplex, and give yourself that period of time on it. Because yep. I've done a lot of work on it. That's why I developed the product. And I'm convinced of the, the, the basis for the preparation. And I get a little, little bit irritated 
when many people, uh, lay people, as well as some medical professionals say, oh no, look, we've prescribed or used that and it hasn't done the trick. This system of medicine always requires a period of time to assert itself. I exactly. would suggest you go down that pathway and okay. I'd be very surprised if you don't get some benefit. What options was your husband uh, given? Uh, what other options was... was... Um, well, at the moment, nothing. He went to his GP and he told him that... Um, He's got to go for in at um, auto imaging. He said, "I go for an assessment to see if you could get injections that would make it work." Now that's what the GP said. So, other well, than that, we've got okay. Well, nothing. look, follow what your GP has said. There's nothing um, uh, wrong with that. Um, follow that. You get help from where you can. Your GP is trying to help, and he's using a different approach. Uh, it would not in any way at all clash with what I see here. Oh, as a nutritional type of approach. The thing that you will note is that um, the, the New Zealand green lip muscle, I'll pause and say that again, mm -hmm. the, the New Zealand green lip muscle uh, has uh, a very, very sound reputation, even in mainstream medicine, in the, in the records of its medical use. It goes back to uh, a paper that was written, uh, I believe it was submitted to the British Medical Journal, and I believe it was published. I have a copy of the paper at home. I'm not sure whether that was the journal, but I suspect it was. And it was a paper written by a British or a Scottish medical practitioner who noticed that on in desperation, using the New Zealand green lip muscle, yes. uh, he was able to reverse uh, an elderly lady's condition where the hip joint was completely ankylosed where she had used the whole gamut of therapies to try to keep her mobile, where she was dependent on, on support to work. He prescribed the New Zealand green lip muscle at a time when it was just starting to break, it, it, and he was obviously uh, on the ball as far as uh, keeping up with some of the, uh, what, what might have been called left field substances. Yeah. Uh, and the result was so remarkable that he wrote a paper uh, which I have given to my students over the year, over the years, to yes. support the potential of the New Zealand green lip muscle as an agent, also, particularly for osteoarthritis, not rheumatoid arthritis. No. I don't. I don't believe that the the, the glucosamine is a specific for that condition. Uh, in in the in the same way that I don't believe that fish oils are much good in osteoarthritis. That's my opinion. Yes. But. Those two things, the glucosamine and chondroitin preparations and also the New Zealand green lip muscle. If I had osteoarthritis, as your dear husband has, I'd be making a beeline for those and, and trying anything to get some relief from it. Well, that's all right. He'll go over to your rooms on yeah. Monday. Yeah. Um, now, the New Zealand green lip muscle, yeah. where, how, where... Where would you get it? I think you'll find that's in glucosaplex also. <laughs> you don't oh, have to right, go yeah. to New Zealand. You might, you might have scored the lottery today, but you're a dear lady and you've rung up 
the least we can do is say, look, wander in and it'll be there ready for you. I'm not pushing any products. If you can find alternatives, you'll go to your pharmacy or whatever. But No, there's no know. alternatives. The okay. people at the pharmacy okay. don't understand. Okay. Mm. Well, see how you go and get back to us and let us know. I will. I'll make him take it for three months. Well, yeah. Well, okay. If you'll stick by it. If you'll stick by it. I'm sure he'll appreciate M- that. Males are terrible people to treat, you know. Males I know. Are terrible. I just have yeah. to force him with a teaspoon of um, sweet sugar. Or what about half a bottle of beer. Well, that's not a bad idea. It depends upon what beer he's drinking, though. <laughs> Short rations, he, half a bottle. He's, he's not, he's, oh, he's, give him a whole bottle then. He's not drinking black beer, is he? No, no, he doesn't drink black <laughs> beer. <laughs> he, he doesn't come from the coal fields. No, that's, no, that's no, he does not. <laughs> no black in your beer. Thank you for your call, in and Thank all the very best. Thank you for your advice. Okay on to a new RFM's Health Naturally. So looking at the respiratory system at the moment, mm, Dennis, mm. Um, yeah, if you suffer from problems of yeah, that, yeah. then uh, you really do appreciate yeah. help. Correct. So what naturopathic okay. techniques can be used there? I'm going, I'm going to perhaps be a little bit radical here, although some would say he's always radical. <laughs> um, one of the things that uh, many of us in traditional naturopathic medicine have noticed that in what are called catarrhal conditions. Now, what does the word catar mean? Catar is an older word. It means, if you like, a, a thick, chronic, mucousy condition or build-up. When we talk about catarrhal positions partic- or conditions, particularly of the upper respiratory system, we're talking about conditions where the sinuses, uh, the station tubes, are frequently blocked or continually uh, blocked with mucus or congestion, and frequently leading to infection. Now, this might sound rather novel and quaint, but those of us trained in naturopathic medicine would say that it is worthwhile giving a try at a dairy-free diet. What I've noticed over many, many years, that in some conditions, particularly pertaining to kids' problems, kids that have snotty noses, kids that are continually... Um, getting infections of the tonsils, uh, runny nose. These kids we would refer to as being chronically, I refer to as being chronically catarrhal. A lot of our literature suggests that by virtue of an overemphasis on milk products, particularly cow's milk products, that this can be a contributor to what we call the catarrhal or mucousy condition. And I've been so impressed uh, with that uh, actual argument that years ago I had published for my patients a little paper called The Cause and Cure of Qatar by a British doctor, Bertrand Allenson, who put forward the, 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 the argument based on his clinical experience that an overemphasis on dairy products was one of the major factors associated with what we call catarrhal, mucousy and potentially infective conditions particularly the upper respiratory tract. And in practice for many, many years, and particularly when I was in Sydney, I had a very interesting experience. I had a practice in Redleaf Avenue, and one of my uh, colleagues, uh, a a lovely lady uh, and a very skillful lady, um, had a particular, how can I call it, a particular bent on suggesting to her clients uh, that in particular kids' conditions, take the kids off milk take the kids off milk. And I thought she was a little bit sort of, mm, 
a little bit obsessed with this. But after I'd worked with her a couple of years, and it was a very busy practice, this is going back to the 80s, um, after I'd worked with her for a couple of years, I was impressed with the number of mothers in particular and younger people uh, who presented and said, as a result of going off cow's milk products, there had been a remarkable uh, improvement in their upper respiratory tract, better breathing, uh, less infection, less runny nose, all those catarrhal conditions in many cases took up uh, where my colleague uh, asked her patients to try the kid or the child or the young person or themselves going off cow's milk. Now, this is no criticism of cow's milk. I use cow's milk myself. I'm a great supporter of our dairy industry. But there are some people who are reactive, and particularly kids, who are reactive to it when there is an overemphasis of it in the diet. And Allison's contention in his paper was that one of the worst combinations that feeds, if you like, upper respiratory tract congestive conditions, sinusy states, blockage of the eustachian tubes, post-nasal drip, one of the worst combinations he contended in his paper was a blend of cow's milk products with refined carbohydrates and sugar. And there are many, many breakfasts uh, the, the many, many breakfasts being fed, particularly to young people, that present that combination of cow's milk, sugar and a refined cereal. A common breakfast, but a breakfast that perhaps may be predisposing the child in particular to what we call upper respiratory tract catarrhal problems. So a hint, not only to children and mothers, but to people that suffer from chronic blockage of the nasal passages, from sinus conditions, give it a try. Cut right back on your cow's milk product. Cut right back on the amount of sugar that you're using deliberately on your food, particularly in a breakfast cereal. And rather than use a refined grain breakfast cereal, get onto what's called the burka muesli, the original muesli that we spoke about on the program some time ago, uh, which is in fact a fresh uh, breakfast based on a Granny Smith grated apple blended with some yogurt, a bit of lemon juice and some oats soaked overnight. I've got the formula for that. The station can give it to you if you want to ring in, but get away from depending on that historic sort of breakfast that we're all raised on of cereal, uh, milk and sugar. I contend that that is a feeding factor potential feeding factor in some cases where upper respiratory tract catarrhal problems exist. Let me emphasize this applies to some people and you might say well are there any particular individuals? I said this years ago on a radio program that what I'd noticed was that fair, uh, blonde, uh, blue-eyed children with what we call a lymphatic rosary around the periphery of the iris they very, very disproportionately represent uh, kids who will be reactive to an overemphasis on that combination of cow's milk product, cereal and sugar. Now, I know that for certain because one of my daughters fits into that category and all of her life she has battled um, sinusy type conditions and a lot of it has to do with the fact that she's blonde, uh, blue-eyed, 
and has what we call specks around the iris, which to listeners doesn't mean much, but to naturopaths it's usually an indication of a predisposition to sorts of conditions frequently associated with that dietary combination and reflecting itself in the upper respiratory tract. That was a bit left field, Jane, but <laughs> it's very naturopathic. Radical. That's very naturopathic. Uh, now, Dennis, so yogurt mm. is presumably no. also made from yeah. cow's milk, but that's that that's a bit different. It works in a different, a different way. It works in a different yeah. way, and in fact, um, as a probiotic and as a fermented agent, it has a, a distinct benefit. And in the modern uh, burka muesli, you will find that it's a component of muesli today. And as I've said, and I say that quite seriously, if people are interested in the recipe for making up the original Burka Bena muesli, we would be happy to forward it to them, I'm sure. If they contacted the station, I'm sure we could arrange to send it to them. I'm sure we mm. can do that. Let me just say that the Burka muesli, uh, to this day, uh, is still considered to be the backbone of that clinical uh, approach to many chronic conditions, not just sinus and catarrhal states. It was based on the ideas of, again, a radical medical practitioner. Thank God for radical medical practitioners uh, because much of what we naturopaths do is essentially prefaced by the work of some of these forebears. Berke Benner, I'll say it quickly, founded in Zurich in Switzerland in the later part of the 19th century a clinic to treat people non-medically through alteration of the diet and key of the dietary alteration was his invention of the original muesli, which is not the muesli we purchase, but an original muesli made on a daily basis using a fresh Granny Smith apple, and we're happy to give you the formula to it. Sounds good. So do people make uh, yoghurt out of goat's milk, for oh, example? Oh, very much so. And so that would oh, not well, have the problem you, you, either. You've, got me, you've really got me wound up here, Jane. Because, <laughs> and, and we're and, running out And of... I'll say it quickly, but one of the things, one of the things that uh, I have emphasised for years, probably not enough now, but certainly in my younger years, I emphasised the fact that very frequently converting over to goat's milk would break through asthmas and eczemas and other upper respiratory tract problems. And to say it quickly, uh, a book that, uh, he's, he, they say, here he goes again mentioning a book, Dr. Vera Walker, a British doctor, wrote a book entitled The Therapeutic Uses of Goat's Milk. And my kids were raised on goat's milk. They came from their dear mother's breast straight onto goat's milk. We had goats in our backyard for years, and many people would come and purchase our goat's milk because their kids had eczema, or asthma, or nasal problems. I'm a great fan of goats and goat's milk. Wonderful creatures, goats. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's Health Naturally for today. More next Friday after the midday news on 2NURFM.